0: today but Ken is just patient just working with it so I think Ken uh, working with the new computer software for video I keep teasing him that if we had a Mac everything would work perfect but it's a PC guy he's a PC guy and I understand that right Ken anyways he's laughing so anyways I'm thankful for everybody just kind of being flexible and also for you being patient with that we're going to be going to James chapter 5 here in just a moment James chapter 5 in just a moment we're going to talk about prayer and that is, you know, so important all the time. We can never talk about prayer enough. We can never pray enough, right? So we're going to go to James chapter 5, verses 13 through 18 here in a minute. And we're going to talk about the power of prayer and the response of praise here in just a minute. A minister said to a child, so your mother says your prayers for you each night. What does she say? And the child replied, thank God he's in bed. And we've been there, right? Uh, Prayer is very important in our Christian life. A man named William R. Newell said this about prayer. He said, kneeling is a good way to pray because it's uncomfortable, right? It's good to pray in an uncomfortable posture. Uncomfortable. Daniel prayed on his knees. Jim Elliott, Elliott, who was killed as a missionary in Ecuador, said this. He said, I love this quote. I'm probably going to read it twice. God is still on his throne. We are still his footstool. And there's only a knee's distance between. He also said, that saint who advances on his knees never retreats. God is still on his throne, we are still his footstool, and there's only a knee's distance between. That saint who advances on his knees never retreats. I don't know if you read uh, Billy Graham's autobiography titled, Just As I Am. That that, book book in of itself is a testimony to prayer. There are many different times where he talks about different situations they encountered in in their evangelical crusades, and they would get on their knees and pray, and God intervened. There is one case where a group was trying to shut them down, shut down their evangelism mission. It was in South America or somewhere, and they got on their knees and prayed about it, and a huge storm came in, big storm, all of a sudden, like blew the Blew the curtains open. I think the windows were already open and everything. And that storm did not affect where they were going to hold the crusade. But it did affect the counter group that was going to be uh, protesting and rioting or whatever else. A testimony to prayer. That saint who advances on his knees never retreats. Many others have written on prayer. Why? I think it's obvious. Prayer is our connection with God. I believe people write on prayer because prayer is so difficult for us. All of us, including pastors. One reason I believe prayer is difficult is because it takes faith, right? We are praying and it takes faith knowing that we're talking to Almighty God, hopefully worshiping Almighty God at the same time, knowing that he hears us and he loves us, he wants to hear us, and he even responds to us. He may not always respond our way, And by our will, but hopefully we say thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You know, we are having faith that our prayer is heard. Another thing about prayer is humility, right? It is humbling to ask for help and confess our sins to God. And by the way, we do need to repent and confess our sins to God first. But that takes humility. And we have such pride, right? You notice how many times I taught through Deuteronomy last year. Loved teaching through Deuteronomy. How many times Moses would be interceding for the people. And Moses would say, you are a stiff-necked people. You know, talking about his own people. And we are too. We are very prideful. And it takes humility to go to the Lord in prayer. And by the way, there's a wonderful book on prayer by Tim Keller. It's called Prayer, Experiencing Awe and intimacy with God, and I read this when it first came out, which I think was 2014. Any of you are welcome to borrow it. When Tim Keller wanted to start studying prayer, he decided to read certainly the scriptures first, but any other writings on prayer. But he wouldn't read any writing on prayer that had not been at least a hundred years old. So it's a better book because it's got lots of quotes by dead people. And if they're still being published after a hundred years, they're probably pretty important and pretty significant. You know, people write on prayer because prayer is so important. So in James 5 verses 13 through 18, we see James wrapping up his epistle. Here James writes about prayer. As we discuss this passage, I hope you will be encouraged by James' instructions on prayer. Let's read it. Verses 13 through 18. James chapter 5. Is anyone among you suffering? Then he must pray. You're suffering, pray. Is anyone cheerful? He is to sing praises. Is anyone among you sick? Then he must call for the elders of the church and they're to pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will restore the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, they will be forgiven him. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. The effective prayer of a righteous man can accomplish much. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. And he prayed earnestly. He prayed earnestly. Notice the modifiers. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain. And it did not rain on the earth for three years and six months. Then he prayed again and the sky poured rain. And the earth produced its fruit. In verse 13, James instructs us to pray in troubles. Is anyone among you suffering then he must pray prayer is the subject of this these next several verses prayer is the subject of this section prayer is also the better use of our tongues of our language if you recall james has written about the tongue in several verses some of this is review but let me remind you because we started in james in mid-march and we're gonna wrap up james in two weeks in james 119 he said be slow to speak in James 1.26, he said anyone who thinks of himself as religious must keep a tight rein on his tongue. In James 3.1-12, it's about not using our words to curse people. In James 4.11-12, it says not to slander one another. In James 4.13-17, he writes about boasting and bragging. So now, James gives us... Some good instructions for the tongue. Some good instructions for our language. Prayer is something we can do that's very good with our tongue and with our language. He wrote about all these negative things, cursing and boasting and, you know, and other things. We need to keep a tight rein on our tongue. And one way to do that is to pray. Pray. Now, what type of trouble, if you look at verses, verse uh, uh, 13, is anyone among you suffering? And I believe the NIV actually says trouble. So what type of suffering or trouble is he talking about? It is easy to think that the trouble, that the suffering has to do with illness. In fact, at first glance, I thought the trouble, the suffering, uh, had, had, had something to do with illness myself. But I, if you look at verse 14, James writes about sickness. And so we think that the trouble, the suffering, has to do with sickness. And it may, but I'm going to give a different, different look on that here in just a minute. A different thought on that verb translated sickness in a moment. For now, trouble could likely mean Persecution. You know, he says it. He says, is anyone among you suffering or is anyone among you troubling, going through trouble? It could likely mean persecution. Recall that in James chapter 2, verse 6, the rich were dragging the people into the courts. We also know that James was the pastor of the Jerusalem church, and we know that there was persecution in Jerusalem. James himself was stoned to death in A.D. 62. Uh, uh, Josephus, who was a Jewish historian said James was stoned to death in AD 62 as a Jewish heretic. How was James a Jewish heretic? Because he accepted Jesus as the Messiah. And by the way, Jesus was his half-brother, if you recall. In Hebrews, which I think was written in or around Jerusalem, in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 3, there's a hint about persecution there. So I think the trouble or the suffering that James may be referring to may be persecution. And James says to pray. He says to pray. You know, what are you doing in your troubles? I urge you to pray. This is a topic which I've covered before and will cover again. We need to cover it all the time to talk about prayer. Francois Coise Finnelin was a 17th century Roman Catholic Frenchman, and he said this about prayer. He said, tell God all that is in your heart. Tell God all that is in your heart. As one unloads one's heart, it's pleasures and it's pains to a dear friend. Tell him your troubles, that he may comfort you. Tell him your joys, that he may sober them. Tell him your longings, that he may purify them. Tell him your dislikes, that he may help you to conquer them. Talk to him of your temptations, that he may shield you from them. Show him the wounds of your heart, that he may heal them. Lay bare your indifference to good, your depraved taste for evil, your instability. Tell him how self-love makes you unjust to others, how vanity tempts you to be insincere, how pride disguises you to yourself and others. If you thus pour out all your weaknesses, needs, troubles, there will be no lack of what to say. You will never exhaust the subject. It is continually being renewed. People who have no secrets from each other never want for subject of conversation. You hear that? People who have no secrets from each other never want for subject of conversation. We are to have no secrets between us and God. He continues, They do not wait their word, for there is nothing to be held back. Neither do they seek for something to say. They talk out of the abundance of the heart. Without consideration, they say just what they think. Blessed are they who attain to such familiar, unreserved intercourse with God. We talk to God as our best friend. He wants to hear our hearts. Yes, he already knows, but he wants to hear our hearts. He wants us to just pour out our needs, our desires, our hearts to him. If we're struggling with a certain sin, with temptations or anything like that, tell them to God. Talk to God as a best friend. Now still in this verse, James writes about the opposite of trouble. Happiness. Look, is anyone among you suffering? Then he must pray. Is anyone cheerful? He is to sing praises. He is to sing praises. If you're happy, sing songs of praise. Look at Colossians chapter three, verses sixteen through seventeen. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom. And as you sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with gratitude in your hearts to God, and whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Notice how that starts with, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. And then it talks about praises. So we're called to pray, right? And sometimes... I have an illustration sometimes we wait and we only pray when we're in trouble you know he says is anyone among you suffering let him pray we are to pray in trouble and pray in suffering but we ought always to be in prayer right so you know i have water up here and i was going to bring a water backpack i just got a new one so i go off and on with longer runs and right now i'm in a longer run phase And just last Wednesday, I thought, I'm going to try running at Mill Creek because there's shade and I can run a very long run. I ended with 14.67 miles, I think, but not to be exact or anything. But it was one of the hardest runs I've ever experienced. I didn't take water. I thought, it's shade. I'll be okay. Thankfully, they had water fountains open and I was able to get three. But here's the deal. When you wait too long, the water, your body's already dehydrated. You need to be drinking the water as you're exercising or as you're working outside or as you go about your day. You can't just wait till the end and just, you know, drink a liter of water and think, all right, I'm good now. No, the body's already dehydrated. Johnny Erickson taught his devotional this morning, said exactly that. They talked about a family hiking down the Grand Canyon and the husband kept saying, drink water, drink water. And the mom said, no, I'm okay." Till she got to the bottom. Then it was too late. Now she survived, thank God, and she was okay, and she told the story, and so did I. Apparently, I survived too. But, you know, we need to constantly be drinking water, and we also need to be constantly praying. You know, that prayer kind of lubricates us spiritually. That prayer hydrates us spiritually. We need to be in that constant relationship with the Lord. So now let's move on here. In verse 14 and 15, James tells us about communal prayer for illness. Now, I'm going to We read those verses, verse 14 and 15. Is anyone among you sick? Is anyone among you sick? Then he must call for the elders of the church, and they are to pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will restore the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, they will be forgiven him. So he's talking about communal prayer for sickness, for illness. Now, I said communal prayer because now at this point, James invites other people into the prayer, doesn't he? He he says to call the elders of the church. Call the elders of the church to pray over you and anoint you with oil in the name of the Lord. And in verse 15, he says, The prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. You know, this is a somewhat difficult passage for me to talk about. It's difficult because it's easy to think that if you're not healed And if this is truly talking about a literal physical sickness and you're not healed, your faith is weak. Or you have some secret sin unconfessed. And we can't say that. We cannot matter-of-fact say that. In certain cases that may be true, but we cannot matter-of-fact say that. We cannot say that if you're not better after being prayed over and anointed by the elders, your faith is weak and your sickness may be because of sin. Now And and, and that kind of opens a can of worms. You know, what type of sickness is James talking about? He says to pray, and he also says, if you look at the next verse, he also says, your sins will be forgiven. The man who was my youth pastor lost his daughter leukemia. She was 16 or 17 years old. I forget which year. And she died of leukemia. And people actually said to him, what sin have you not confessed that your prayers are not answered? Why is your faith not stronger? We can't say that. He was a very godly man, and he was quite a prayer warrior and still is. Um, The Greek verb here translated sick can also mean weak. The Greek verb translated sick can also mean weak. It is quite likely that James is not writing about a physical ailment, but a spiritual weakness and or some physical weakness from the persecution. Remember they're facing persecution. Now, I actually favor that it could be both. He could be talking about physical sicknesses and weakness caused by persecution and or temptation. Think about it for a moment though. These people are facing persecution. They are drained. It has been difficult to maintain the faith. Their faith has been challenged and may be weakened. So now James says to call the elders of the church and ask them to pray over you and anoint you with oil. The elders are to pray over the person. The verb translated to anoint literally means to rub or smear with oil. You hear that? The verb translated to anoint literally means to, to rub or smear with oil. This could carry the idea of putting oil on the wounds from persecution. Putting oil on the wounds from the persecution. Either way, it is quite likely that the sickness is not a literal physical illness, but a weakened faith because of Persecution. Or it's also quite likely that it's a little bit of both. I actually, the more I think about it, am thinking both. The prayer offered in faith, he says, will make the sick person well. God will honor your request. This is especially true if we believe this is talking about a weakened faith from persecution. God will honor that request. He'll encourage their faith. The text goes on to say that his sins will be forgiven. Now, isn't that interesting? His sins will be forgiven. What is the sin? Where does this come from? It is possible that the sin is a weakened faith because of persecution, making it hard to maintain the faith. It is also possible that the sin is just an unnamed sin. Why is the sin forgiven? Do the elders forgive the sin? No. Elders don't forgive sin. Only God forgives sin. But think about this. We can know the sin is forgiven because the individual has come to the elders. Since he has come to the elders, that implies a contrite heart willing to confess sin and willing to get support. How many of us are so filled with pride, we will not get help with our sins. We will not get help conquering whatever it may be. We just think, I'll take care of it on my own. And God wants us to get support, to get help in humility. It might be a pastor. It might be a counselor. It might be, it might be calling the elders to pray over you and anoint you over some type of need. Suppose the person has an actual physical ailment. This passage says they will be healed in faith. You know, you may be questioning your faith because you have not been healed. Remember that our prayers must always be about God's will. We pray in Jesus' name because we are praying in Jesus' character or manner. And if you look at verse 14, at the end of the verse, it says the prayer and anointing are in the name of the Lord. The prayer and anointing are in the name of the Lord. And in Bible times, name had to do with who you are. It was your character. So when you pray in the name of Jesus, you're praying his will. You're praying his character. You're praying after his manner. So we must submit to and surrender to his will. Submit to and surrender to his will. Also about elders, I want to say notice the idea of calling upon the spiritual advisors for support. The New Testament gives this type of instruction often. It was important for the church to be a community. You need to, and I need to. We all need to be able to call for help spiritually, to call for spiritual help. Now look at verse 16. James shows that communal confession goes along with prayer. Verse 16, he says in verse 16, he says, Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. Confess your sins to one another And pray for one another so that you may be healed. Communal confession goes along with prayer. In Psalm number 66, verse 18, it says, the psalmist writes, that if he had cherished sin in his heart, the Lord would not hear his prayer. I don't think you always must be concerned about some unconfessed sin that you don't know about. However, we are to confess our sins to one another. We must be careful of repetitive sin, of lifestyle sins. If you're in a type of pattern of sin that you just cannot conquer, you probably need to get some support, get some help. Ask other Christian brothers and sisters to pray for you. It doesn't mean that you're sick or anything like that or psychologically you have problems. It doesn't mean that at all. God wants us to support one another. And I'm not just talking about addictions and things like that. What about pride? If you have a constant battle with pride, you need to ask a brother or sister in Christ to pray for you and help you. If you have a constant battle, a sin issue with with gossip, you need to invite other Christians to pray for you. If you have a constant sin problem with anger, you need to ask other Christians to pray for you. If you have a constant problem with anxiety, you need to invite, invite Christians in to pray for you. Now, at some point... Your Christian brother or sister might say, look, I think you need to get some other support. I think you need to talk to a counselor or talk to the pastor and get some other support. But we're called to, to, to love one another and support one another. We're called to do that. And oftentimes it's pride that gets in the way with that too. We can have a constant battle with, with gluttony, not being able to control our eating, invite other Christians in to help you. The Bible says a cord of three strands is not easily broken. That's, con- that's calling the body of Christ like, like, like rope that's bound together, woven together to support each other. We need to be better as Christians supporting one another. We need to help each other out in this way. We need prayer partners and accountability partners. I want to talk for a moment about confession more. We need to confess because in confession, we clear our minds and hearts. When we confess our sins to one another, we clear our minds and hearts. We need to confess because in confession, we can hear the person we confess to say that we are forgiven. Or God forgives you. You know what? You know what? We need to hear that. When we confess our sins to a brother or sister in the Lord, we can hear forgiveness in another person, that's important. We need to confess to everyone we have offended in our sin, as far as possible. In some cases, that may be a large group of people. A lot of times we think we can just confess to God and it's clear. No, it's not. God wants you to go and make it right with the person you sinned against. You, you know, gossip is like a secret sin that you can do with no consequences, no immediate consequences. So you may think, oh, I gossiped, I'll confess it. You need to go and confess it to the person you gossiped about too. You need to make it right. If I, if I, as a pastor, sin against the church, I need to confess it to the whole church. We need to confess to everyone we have sinned against. We need to confess the sin. And we need to train our children and grandchildren that way. It's not just saying, I'm sorry, I sinned against you. No, we need to ask for forgiveness. Will you forgive me? Because when you say, will you forgive me? You're putting the ball back in the other, person, uh, the other person's court. And, and, that, and that way they can say, I forgive you. We do that with our kids. I didn't think up that idea. I heard it on Focus on the family or something like that. And it's great to watch a five-year-old say... Abigail won't forgive me, you know, and things like that. She's actually almost nine now. But, you know, we need to teach confession and forgiveness. And we need to confess and forgive. We also need to confess so that we can be held accountable not to continue in that sin. You hear that? We need to be held accountable. So if you're confessing to somebody else, maybe you didn't really sin against them. Maybe you're just asking, please help me. I'm battling the sin of gluttony or pride or gossip or whatever. They need to be able to say, you're forgiven, but how can I help you not to go into this sin again? How can we help you to conquer this sin? How can we help you to rely on Christ more? Let's pray together and let's talk about this. By the way, remember we are not meant to live the Christian life alone. Americans, we are a very isolated church. We don't live in a community very well. We need to be better at living in community. You and I were not meant to live the Christian life alone. Get this. Unchecked sin corrupts absolutely. We think I can just handle it. I got it all taken care of. No, you can't. You say God wants to help, God wants to help me. And that's true. He does. But he wants to help you through the body of Christ. He doesn't want to help you trying to conquer and deal with things alone. We're called to be a community. Unchecked sin corrupts absolutely. Our sin is contagious always. We think that our sin is just affecting us. Uh Uh-uh. Even if it's not a sin that will directly affect our children and grandchildren, indirectly it will because we're called to be spiritual leaders. Okay? So we need to confess. It is not a secret. If you don't believe me, look how divorce affects children. Look how divorce affects generations upon generations upon generations. Look how the absent father corrupts a whole culture. And it is. And we see that. Look at that. Look at how, how when the dad is not the spiritual leader in the home, it affects the children and grandchildren and so on. Unchecked sin corrupts absolutely our sin is contagious numbers 32 23 memorize this put it on your wall i've done that it says be sure your sin will find you out we think it's secretive we think it's hidden we think no one knows it will find us out and it's better if we let the holy spirit convict it, us and we confess it and make restitution this verse about confession and sin implies that the sickness may be actually weakened in faith in the previous verse. You know, I know, I, I know that some. Uh, some of us today need to confess, and I urge you to do that. Make it a point to confess the sin today. You're never promised tomorrow. You may have to confess to your spouse you've looked at pornography. You may have to confess to your children that you have treated them badly. You may have to confess to your boss that you did something wrong. You may have to confess to someone else. Don't ignore the Holy Spirit's nudging. In Matthew chapter 5, verses 23-24, through 24, Jesus told the people that if they are about to worship God and they realize they have an unresolved issue with someone else, they must resolve that and then come back to worship. Resolving an issue with a brother or sister is more important than worship. That's a big deal. In confessing our sin, we can truly be spiritually healed and fulfilled. In verses 17 through 18 of this passage, James gives an example of the power of prayer. Let's read verses 17 through 18. This is a human example. He says, Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. Why does he say that? He's saying Elijah was just like you and me. He was just a human being like us. And he prayed earnestly that it would not rain. And it did not rain on the earth for three years and six months. Then he prayed again, and the sky poured rain And the earth produced its fruit. That's a testimony of the power of prayer. Recall that James was a half-brother of Jesus. And James was called James the Just. James the Just. It is said, get this, it is said that James spent hours on his knees in prayer. So much that his knees were callous like a camel's flesh. His knees were worn from spending hours on his knees in prayer. So it is only fitting that as James begins to close his epistle... He writes on prayer. You know, God is right there ready to help us. I want you to know that whether you're battling physical ailment or spiritual problem, I'm here to help you as well. I'm here to pray with you and support you. E. Stanley Jones said a prayer. He said, prayer is surrender. Surrender to the will of God and cooperation with that will. I love this illustration. Think about it. If I throw out a boat hook from a boat... And catch hold of the shore and pull. Do I pull the shore to me or do I pull myself to the shore? I mean, imagine you. You're out there fishing and you throw. I I used to fish. And you throw the line out and and you snag the line on the shore and you pull. Are you going to pull the shore to you? Of course not. You're going to pull the boat to the shore. Likewise, prayer is not pulling God to my will. Prayer is not pulling God to my will. But prayer is the aligning of my will to the will of God. Submission, surrender, humility. I heard an illustration of seeds last week. And, you know, Jesus gave the illustration of, you know, the little mustard seed that grows real big. And I thought about it. You know, it just hit me in another way. Isn't it amazing? You plant these little tiny bitty seeds, as long as they don't come from China. There's a lot of stuff going around about that right now. Don't know if it's true or not. You plant these little tiny seeds. They grow up. And eventually birds nest in the trees, squirrels nest in the trees, they provide shade, they provide firewood, depending, maybe they provide uh, things to build houses with. They start with little seeds. I've heard before that nobody accepts Jesus as Lord and Savior except that someone prayed for them. We never know what their Lord's doing when we pray. We never know, you know, how or when he's going to answer, but we do know that he desires to hear from us. He desires to have a relationship with us. Let's pray right now. Dear Heavenly Father, I pray that we know you and we live for you. Lord God, I pray that we truly do surrender to you. And we have a life, I ask, of surrendering to you, of of living our Christian life with you, in a relationship with you. Lord God, as being part of that relationship, I also ask that um, we're prayer warriors. We pray to you about everything, Lord God. Everything that comes to our mind, we pray about. And not just prayer as intercessory prayer, but everything that comes to our mind. Lord God, I ask that we're giving you praise and we're giving you thanks. Just like last night, I thank you for the way our, our blood clots. I thank you for pain because it's so di- disastrous when a child is born with the, the, with the lack of the ability to feel pain. Lord God, help us to pray about all things, to be thankful for all circumstances, to worship you in all things, and have a continual, ongoing relationship with you. And Lord God, if there's anyone here who has never surrendered their life to you as Lord and Savior, may today be the day to confess they are a sinner in need of a Savior, to believe in you as the one and only Savior, to trust in you and commit to you, make you Lord of their life. Lord God, I also want to give you thanks that we were able to get our technology working. You got it working for us. Hopefully, we're online right now and take and use our worship service for your glory and your purpose. Pray in Jesus' name, amen. amen. We're going to conclude uh, out of the handbook.